0: Open your Bibles with me, if you will please, to Philippians chapter 2. We continue this brief series through this brief book, a book full of encouragement in the Lord and a call to rejoice. Paul writing as a missionary pastor to a church that in the Lord's uh, providence, he was involved as its, um, what we would call now a church planting pastor some 10 years earlier. The call last week in the first chapter to rejoice because of the growing spread of the gospel, and then this morning we looked at the call to rejoice in serving, having been saved. And this evening, uh, zooming into perhaps an unexpected point, fill up your pastor's joy. Fill up your pastor's joy. And before I read these few verses, just a comment. Many, many people say, I want a church that makes me happy, a church that gives me joy. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. (laughs) I mean, how many of us want a church that makes us miserable? (laughs) But is that the main thing? Is that the most important thing in your church membership? And it seems like as we observe people that some would think that way. It's not unusual that people leave churches because they say, I just don't find any joy in the church. But a better aim then simply receiving joy according to Philippians 2 is to want to be a churchgoer that gives joy to others in the church and in a particular way that we're going to look at this evening it gives joy to your pastor and your elders. I would include the elders with the pastor. They are shepherds and our word pastor comes from the the word that we use for shepherd. And so this call to fill up your pastor's joy. And so listen as I read, I'm going to read just Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, and then I'm going to jump to verse 12. We're going to really focus on 16 through 18, but I'm going to read 12 through 18. So here, uh, the Word of God. Inspired Word of God says this, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. And then up to verse 12, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And then these next verses are focused. Holding fast to the word of life, So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Having heard from God in his word, please join me in your hearts as we seek him in prayer. Father in heaven, would you indeed make us glad rejoicing together with you and with one another. As we come to your word, as your spirit instructs us and helps us to live holy lives before our holy God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Fill up your pastor's joy. Really? (laughs) Yes, really. Here in verse 2, this missionary pastor, and, and we have to understand Paul's relationship with The Philippian church is not exactly like a pastor today, not exactly like my relationship with you. Uh, And yet there is some connection. Paul was used to start the church in the Lord's providence in Philippi. You can read about that in Acts 16. And he writes back to them now, but it's not merely as a friend who used to go to that church. He writes with apostolic authority. And we don't understand exactly how all of that worked. He was a member of the presbytery. We do know that, the council of the elders. And in that position, he writes authoritative words to the church at Philippi. And of course, because it's inspired and written by the Spirit of God, it's authoritative for us as well. And so this missionary pastor, writing the inspired word of God, says, complete my joy, dear saints in Philippi. And we think, wait a minute, Paul. Complete joy comes from Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus told us that our joy would be complete as we abide in him, as we see our prayers answered in him. Is, is Paul forgetting what Jesus taught his disciples? Well, of course he's not. But we understand that there are different ways to evaluate our life, different ways to evaluate what's going on in our spiritual condition. One of the ways that we evaluate that is who we are in Christ, and it's in Christ And that never changes, that your joy and my joy is complete. Your joy, you have the fullness of joy as you abide in Christ. You have the fullness of joy. We have the fullness of joy as we receive answers to our prayers, Jesus said, that gives us a fullness of joy. But on another level, not insignificant, your pastor's joy may be more or less full depending on you. And I just want to say up front, This is, in many ways, an easy sermon for me to preach, because in the brief time that we've been here, you do fill my joy. You do make my joy complete. I see you wanting to walk in faithfulness with Christ. And I suspect at some point along the history of our relationship together, we'll get out of sorts. This isn't one of those times, and to preach this sermon then would probably not be helpful for me or for you. <laughs> and so do understand that I preach this with ease. It'd probably be easier to preach if I were the guest preacher. You know, if I were just maybe even your pastor elect. And yet this is where I am. And and pastoring is not an abstract exercise, just as theology is not abstract. We saw that this morning in regards to this instruction about the humiliation and the exaltation of Christ. So pastoring is not an abstract exercise. It's directing the people of God, you and me, in the ways of God. And in many ways, for a pastor, the response of the people of God to the preaching and teaching ministry of the pastor is either one of his greatest joys or one of his deepest sorrows. One pastor wrote this. He said, when we shepherd people and they get it, it thrills our hearts. And what does it mean that they get it? It means that Christians see that God has made them to share in the journey and in the work of the kingdom, and they use their gifts to do that. And there are two very serious errors that people can have in regards to their pastor. One is to raise him up too high. Please don't do that of me. Had an experience in our first pastorate uh, in the Lord's providence led an, a woman 60 years old to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to her, I could do no wrong until I did. And I had to seek her forgiveness I had to come to her and say Betty I failed you and I might fail you in other ways please understand that that was not intentional on my part and yet it was wrong I recognize that and please forgive me and it was a hard lesson for her to learn because there was a sense in which because the Lord had used me in in sharing Christ with her and she'd come to faith and she was growing that, that I think there was a little bit of a tendency to put me on a pedestal. And that's one danger. There's another danger, and that's to tear down your pastor. You see it all the time. I talked about social media this morning. Uh, it, if none of us ever participated again in social media, it wouldn't be a great loss. I'm not saying you can't participate in social media. I have an account in a couple of platforms, so I, I'm not very active in them. But it's too easy to read. Our pastor is, is no good. Our elders are really messing up. They're not being faithful. And can, can you make accusations against the pastor and elders? Absolutely. But how you make it and where you make it is of vital importance. And don't, don't raise your pastor up too high. Don't tear him down. Instead, fill up your pastor's joy. Why should you fill up your pastor's joy? Well, dare I say it, because I am willingly poured out for you. I am willingly poured out for you. It's there in verses 16 and 17. It's Paul's list, but it's my goal that I will be willingly poured out for you. And what are some of the things that Paul talks about here and in others of his letters? I'm running for you, he says. I'm laboring for you. I'm preaching to you. I'm warning you. You, I'm teaching you. I'm exhorting you. I'm correcting you. I'm reproving you. I'm rebuking you. I'm encouraging you. I'm admonishing you. I'm helping you. I'm being patient with you. I'm seeking your sanctification. I'm seeking your perfection. And to do these things, Paul in his ministry on this earth and every pastor who's seeking to be a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will be poured out again and again on behalf of the people of God. The movie Breaking Away, it's a, a bit of a coming of age. It was back in, in our just graduated high school days, set in southern Indiana, Indiana University. In this movie, the father says to one of the lead roles, the son, he says to his son, You're never tired. You're never miserable. And this father's perspective was to be tired is the same as to be miserable. And his happy-go-lucky son who just enjoyed riding his bicycle needed to learn what it was to be tired and miserable. And unless you knew what it was to be tired and miserable, this father was communicating there's something wrong with you. But in life, especially in the life of service to Christ, being tired is not the same as being miserable. Every Lord's Day evening, I am exhausted. Part of it's I haven't been preaching morning and evening for the last eight years, except on occasion. And there is a weariness, a weariness to my soul and to my flesh that comes at the end of the Lord's Day. But in many ways, in the midst of being tired, the way you respond to the word of God preached determines whether or not I'm tired and miserable or tired and joyful. And my experience in this brief time that I've been your pastor is come Lord's Day evening. I'm tired and joyful. I love the work that God has given me here. And please understand that my being poured out on behalf of you is only a small reflection of Christ being poured out. for the the service of his people, him being poured out for the salvation of his people. I mentioned this morning this salvation care package. This was mentioned at my installation, and I say it cautiously. Please understand. I'm merely reflecting on the instruction of God that one of the treasures in your salvation care package is your pastor and your elders. Christ was ascended on high and he gave gifts to the church including pastors and teachers. Christ was poured out. He died. He was raised and ascended to heaven in part so that your pastor might be poured out for you and that you might fill up your pastor's joy. Why fill up your pastor's joy? Because I am willingly poured out for you. And then in verse 2, why? Because I find joy in your godly response I find joy in your godly response we talked a lot about this if if this then that and yet Paul doesn't merely say if this then respond this way nobody says and we read it in verse 2 if this if this certainty of Christ is yours then fill up my joy by responding this way fill up my joy by responding this way. Now, now we know that Paul's already joyful. He can be joyful even in prison because the gospel of Christ is being proclaimed. And yet, as he writes, there's a sense in which his joy could be fuller. One writer put it this way, it is, we almost might say, it is, we might say, almost to the brim. That is, his joy is almost to the brim. It could reach the brim and overflow if the Philippians would only heed his appeal to be his appeal for unity in Christ's church. And this idea that Paul finds joy in the response of those to whom he preaches and teaches is a constant theme in his letters. He's concerned, he writes to the Corinthians, concerned that if he went to Corinth, those who ought to give him joy would give him pain instead. He rejoiced about the Colossians to see their well-ordered lives and the strength of their faith. He's confident that the lives of the Thessalonians would be a source of his joy at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really stunning to me. That Paul, who knew to live as Christ and to die as gain, had a constant sense that when he stood in the presence of Christ, A measure of his joy would be the response of those to whom he taught and preached. A measure of his joy, certainly the fullness of his joy was in Christ, but a measure of his joy, a measure of the source of his joy at the coming of Jesus would be these to whom he preached Christ. And it's similar to his words here in verse 16. His reason for knowing in the day of Christ that his running and laboring was not in vain was the response of the people of God. So how do you fill up your pastor's joy? How do you fill up your elders' joy? These shepherds given as gifts by Jesus to this church, you do it by having and holding, by having and holding. As I was considering what our text says, I was struck with the similarity to wedding vows. Our vows weren't exactly this, but it's more or less, I, Ed, take you, Nancy, to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And just an observation about that, the context of having and holding in the church and in a marriage Church membership is a serious covenant relationship, not just between the believer and their pastor, but between all believers covenanting together in church membership. It's a serious relationship, but it's not the same as marriage covenant vows. We know from the word of God that the marriage covenant, except for the terrible sins of unrepentant sexual immorality or abandonment is to be unbreakable. And the church marriage covenant is not unbreakable to the same degree that a marriage covenant is, the church membership covenant, but it should not be entered into lightly, nor should it be withdrawn from easily. To fill up your pastor's joy, you have and hold from this day forward, but really for you, for many days backward from this point, because this is not something that's new to you. You have a reputation of listening and responding positively to the preaching of the Word of God, and that's been an encouragement to us as we come. This has been your practice, and so i merely stand up here and say, keep doing what you've been doing, having and holding. What is it that you're to have and hold? Well, you're to have the mind of Christ. We saw that this morning there in verses 2 and following. You're to be united in mind. You're to be united in love. You're to be united in spirit. You're to be united in purpose. It seems to me that God wants you and me, he wants each of us to strive for a life of such deep unity that we have the mind of Christ and that we exhibit the mind of Christ to those around us. And yet we might be inclined to think, come on. I mean, we're Americans. We're independent thinkers. It's my personal freedom to think differently, to march to the beat of my own drum, to, to love who and what I want to love is an essential part of who I am, right? Wrong. God made you. God made me to serve, to give, to yield. Now, from the moment we're born, I mean, think of your little children or Little children that you've had or that you know, it's it's take, take, take. It's grab hold of. It's give me this, it's give me that. And and as parents we have to shape that. We have to we have to help them learn not to be that way, not to think that it's always about what they can grab hold of. God makes you, as you as you have the mind of Christ, to give and to yield and to serve. You might think of it this way, and it's perhaps humorous to the, to the point of being ridiculous, but think of two mature, humble Christians who arrive at a doorway at the same time. And sometime later, they're still standing at that doorway, each of them urging the other to go first. Now you say that's over the top, it's ridiculous, but it's better than the independent individualism so prevalent in our soul and in our culture with little regard for others. Paul writes to the Romans, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. No, I want to show honor to you. You go through the doorway first. You want to fill up your pastor's joy, have the mind of Christ as you humbly and joyfully serve one another in the church. And then fill up your pastor's joy by holding to the word of life there in verse 16. Holding to the word of life. Verse 14 is a description of not holding fast. The call is to hold fast, be holding fast to the word of of life, but grumbling and questioning is not the way to hold fast to the word of life. Paul's mention, one writer put it, of murmuring and questioning conjures up the pathetic grousing and whining of ancient Israel in the wilderness. And so often as I observe the faithful character of Christian people and their response to difficult things, I've witnessed it in my wife, I've witnessed it in many others, I think if I were there, I'd be grumbling like Israel in the wilderness. And that's not a good thing. So don't do that. Instead, the call is to hold fast to keep a firm grip on. It's the same word that Paul speaks up to Timothy when he tells him to hold fast to his life and his doctrine. It's a different word, but it's not an unfamiliar concept to what Jesus himself promises in God and God the Son holding on to us. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My father is greater than I, and no one will snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. And this concept of holding fast to the word of life, it's, I'm going to hold so tightly to the very word of life that no one, not even the evil one who desires to snatch it from me. Think of the parable of the sower. Some seed fell and Satan snatched it away. May it not be that Satan snatches away from me the word of life. But may I hold fast, and not in myself. May it be that the one who holds me fast enables me to hold fast. And what is it that these saints were to hold fast to? What are you to hold fast to? You're to hold fast to the word that is your life. The word that is your life. The very word of the very God. And that includes both the free gift gospel word, And the love me, keep my commandments word. It's not I can pick one and not the other. It's both and. I am saved by grace. It is not of myself. And as one who is saved, I am striving to do the good works that God gave me to do, that he prepared in advance for me to do. How do children bring joy to their parents? Parents, how do your children bring you joy? Well, part of how they bring you joy is as they grow and develop. We we see this in life. What do parents often talk about? They often talk about their children. Little Jack started crawling. Little Jill is walking and talking up a storm. Billy got all A's in school. But not merely growing and developing, but walking in the truth. And so a parent will almost boastfully say Susie publicly professed her faith in Jesus and became a communicant member of his church today. Or Fred's going to seminary. He think God wants him to become a pastor. Or Bob was elected as an elder in their church today. Parents find joy as their children walk in the truth. And Paul wants to find joy in his Philippian children, if you will, as they walk in the truth, as they hold fast to the word that is their life. And maybe at first glance, this bothers us a little bit. You see, we really have two options. Either we have a proud, insecure, self-centered missionary pastor posing as a godly man, or we have a godly pastor who is one who wants to see his congregation, his spiritual children, walking in the truth. And if you're not sure which it is, it's the second. (laughs) A godly pastor is one who wants to see his congregation, his spiritual children, walking in the truth. And a godly church member is one who wants to give joy to his pastor, to his elders, by holding on to the word of life that they pour out their life to show and to tell. Hold on Hold fast to the word that is your life and understand that bringing your pastor joy brings you joy. And Paul says that in verse 18. It's always true. It is always true that obedience to God gives you joy. See, one of the temptations of the evil one is this sin or that sin will really satisfy you. This sin or that sin will really give you joy. And if you are in Christ, though there may be a momentary enjoyment, you won't find joy in sin. You won't be glad to be disobedient. Obedience always gives you joy. And particularly, God tells us in his word that the work of obedience is part of giving joy to those who labor over you in the Lord. uh, The the author of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And there's a sense, do that so that they can do this with joy and not with grief. for that would be unprofitable for you. I I love that understatement. (laughs) It would be unprofitable for you, for your elders to give account of your lives as, an act, as, a, as a grievous thing. Instead, bring joy through true obedience, not just to your pastor, but to yourself. And Jesus teaches this all throughout his earthly ministries. If you have my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. You want to have joy in life? Obey God. You can do it to give joy to your pastor because he'll get joy as you obey God. I will get joy as I see you living a life of obedience to God. But you will also get joy yourself as you do this. Giving joy to your pastor brings joy to you. It becomes, as Paul says in verses 17 and 18, a shared joy. I am glad and rejoice with you and you, should be glad and rejoice with me. But best of all, it brings God joy. God takes pleasure in our humble obedience. And even that, we've got to step back for a minute and, and think about that. In the Lord Jesus Christ, God says to me, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. It's in Christ that God is well pleased with me, but God is also pleased with me as I obey him. Samuel said, does the Lord delight? Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? There is a sense in which in our father-son relationship with our God, that we bring joy to the Father as we obey him that we give joy to God as we walk in faithful obedience. As you bring joy to your pastor, you will find joy and God will find joy. Now remember, this letter is full of encouragement. It's not heavy with correction or rebuke. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for correction and rebuke, but also for teaching and training in righteousness. And part of the teaching and training from God through Paul to these Philippian saints and to us is fill up your pastor's joy by having the mind of Christ and holding fast to the word of life. Please join me in prayer that God would make it so. Father, I thank you for the joy that this congregation has been to you. And I thank you for the joy that this congregation has brought to me as their new pastor. Father, I thank you that there is a history here of people wanting to respond with love and obedience to the word of God. And so my prayer is that this would merely be an encouragement for them to keep on doing what they have been doing. And yet each of us at times get out of sorts. Each of us at times get distracted Each of us, at times, give in to the temptations of the evil one, thinking that somehow that will give us satisfaction. And so, Lord, keep us from that. Turn us from that. And may it be that we are a congregation who, pastor and people, knows the joy of the Lord that is our strength. That they would have joy as they obey you, and that I would have joy as they obey you. And that we would give you joy as we seek to please you through our beloved Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we pray, amen.